Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. It is too early to tell just how hard the COVID-19 pandemic will hit California's finances. But one thing is for sure, it won't be pretty. The state official in charge of signing the checks issued by California is keeping a close eye on the revenues coming into the state's coffers. KQED's Scott Schaefer spoke with state controller Betty Yee. Yee says in times like this, the state controller is a kind of financial first responder, making sure all the bills get paid. Although every kind of revenue California collects, especially income tax, is going to take a big hit due to the coronavirus, Yee isn't hitting the panic button yet. You know, this is definitely having a severe impact. It is affecting almost every sector of our economy. So the big question really, Scott, is at what point will we see this economy fully productive again? Governor Newsom isn't giving a date certain for that, but with income taxes due in mid-July this year, the state's financial situation will remain uncertain until then, but Yee says it's going to be painful no matter what. $50 billion in tax revenue that we'll lose over two years, which means that those are programs that either will have to be funded through other revenue sources, raising revenues in other ways, or looking at each of these programs taking a haircut. And not a very stylish haircut at that. The good news is that California was on strong fiscal footing before the crisis. As a result, Yee says, the state won't have to do any external borrowing to pay its bills anytime soon. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. The big question that's been hanging over all of us these last few weeks is when will life return to some semblance of normal? When can we all go back to work, to school? On schools, Governor Gavin Newsom said yesterday that some could open in late July or early August. The hope is that students won't fall too far behind on learning. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports. Schools would need to figure out how students could keep social distancing, possibly staggering them across different attendance days or smaller class sizes with desks six feet apart. Dr. Alicia Smith-Ariaga with EdTrust West, which tracks educational equity issues, says students who lack Internet or had to watch siblings instead of doing schoolwork while at home should get top priority. So it's going to be important to do some kinds of assessments to help parents and teachers understand 
okay, this is where a student was academically before COVID, and this is where a student is now. State Schools Chief Tony Thurmond said it may be necessary to hire more teachers to get to smaller class sizes, but that would take more resources in a time when the state budget is tightening in the fallout from this economic slowdown. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. Well, the San Francisco Bay Area is hunkering down for another month of sheltering in place. But head to the Central Valley, and it is a completely different story. Elected officials there are pushing for non-essential businesses to get back to work. The California Report's Alex Hall has more. Fresno shelter-in-place order expires on May 6th, but even if local officials don't extend it, and that's a big if, the statewide shelter-in-place order would still be in effect. Let me ask a question. Why is fishing not allowed at the lakes? Is COVID going to run up the fishing line from a fish? Fresno City Councilman Gary Bredefeld is the second Fresno council member to call for a reopening in recent days. Bredefeld was joined by small business owners expressing frustration that local shops aren't allowed to operate and take precautionary measures, while large corporations like Target are open, selling essential and non-essential products. These politicians are not doctors. They're not economists. Many are drunk with newfound power, and they've imposed the heavy hand of government and an authoritarian rather than common-sense approach to dealing with the serious health crisis. A lawsuit filed last week against Governor Gavin Newsom and other California officials by L.A.-area businesses argue shelter-in-place orders are unconstitutional. Bredefeld didn't come out and say he's going to join a suit, but he hinted another one may be in the works. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall. UCLA is out with a new study about the emissions that gas appliances release in our homes. This at a time when the COVID-19 pandemic has many of us spending more time than ever at home. Rachel Golden is with the Sierra Club's Building Electrification Program. She says there are gas-consuming appliances in about 14 million houses across the state. Pollution that's coming from our gas appliances is really harming the health of Californians. And um, in particular, the outdoor air pollution, specifically particulate matter, PM2.5, is linked with higher death rates, approximately 350 premature deaths per year, 3.5 billion in additional health care costs, and over 900 cases of additional respiratory illnesses per year just from burning gas and our residential appliances. Golden says you can buy an induction cooktop stove for about $50 and encourages using ventilation fans and keeping windows open as much as possible. One bright side to sheltering in place has been that the number of traffic collisions and fatalities has gone down. But as a result of that, people waiting for kidney, liver, and heart transplants are having to wait longer. KQED's health correspondent April Demboski reports on this unintended consequence of the coronavirus pandemic. When Noemi Jimenez got pregnant with her first baby, she was really tired, way more tired than other women seem to be. Her doctors ordered a bunch of tests, including an ultrasound. So it turns out that I was only born with one kidney, and I didn't know... I found out it was failing. Jimenez was diagnosed with stage 3 kidney disease. She was 20. For the next several years, she managed it with pills and diet, but her one kidney continued to decline. And that's when my doctor said, you know what? You need dialysis. I see that you're getting more tired. You have poofy eyes. Let's just go for it. Jimenez was also put on the waiting list for a kidney transplant. She was 29 then and had three kids. It was strange, she says, and scary. 
waiting for someone to die so she could live. It's like sitting in your mind. You know, you just, just can't never leave you alone. You're just thinking about it. Then the pandemic hit. California officials ordered everyone to stay at home, except to get fresh air and go to medical appointments. On day two, Jimenez got in her car in San Pablo and drove to dialysis. No traffic. It was just everybody home. Jimenez thought, no car accidents. She was nervous to admit what she thought next. I don't want to be mean, but I was like, oh my God, like, nobody's going to die. Like, I'm not going to get my transplant. Jimenez was right. Highway patrol reports have been tame. A study from UC Davis found fatal traffic collisions during the first month of shelter-in-place were down by half. And drowning deaths, those are also down 80 percent. Transplant experts say most organ donations come from accidents like these. Beach accidents, motorcycle accidents, hunting accidents. Janice Whaley is the CEO of Donor Network West. She says they usually see a surge of organ donations in April, but not this year. Spring break accidents are almost non-existent because there's no spring break. At the same time, hospitals have had to scale back transplant surgeries because of scarce resources. To be a donor, people have to be kept on a ventilator after they die or are declared brain dead in order to keep blood flowing to the organs. Sometimes it can take three days to line up the recipient, and then they need to be on a ventilator too. People were very antsy about having non-COVID patients on ventilators, you know, taking up space where they wanted to make sure they were ready for that next patient. There were also issues of whether you can do proper testing of donors. UCSF transplant surgeon Chris Fries says hospitals didn't have enough tests to make sure donors didn't have COVID-19. So there may have been some organ turndowns that we normally wouldn't have seen. All these factors caused transplant surgeries across the country to plummet 52 percent last month. But Noemi Jimenez got lucky. A couple weeks ago, Dr. Fries's team called her at 2 a.m. and told her to rush to the hospital. I was excited, but... I- Then my mind hit me like somebody died. All she knows is that the person was 19 and died in an accident in L.A. Jimenez wrote a letter to the donor's family. I told him that I will forever be thinking of them and I will have him or her in my body for the rest of my life and I will live for both of us. Jimenez has six months of recovery ahead of her. She says she's looking forward to going back to work and having more energy to play with her kids. For the California Report, I'm April Dimboski. It is tough being cooped up at home right now, especially if you are a teenager. But some California high schoolers and undergrads are using their weeks in quarantine to teach music to kids, and they're donating the proceeds to support coronavirus relief efforts. KQED's Chloe Veltman reports. Sanaa Ayer started learning the violin a few weeks ago at home with help from her mom. But she's really busy, so I haven't learned much. Now the 11-year-old Silicon Valley public schooler is taking lessons online with Yara Maya, a UC Santa Barbara undergrad who's come back home to the San Francisco Bay Area since her campus has shut down. Okay, have you done any warm-ups before? I guess mostly just scales and things. Okay. Maya teaches these one-on-one music lessons for quarantunes. The online music platform was founded by public high school junior Julia Siegel. I started learning the piano at the age of three, started learning voice at the age of eight. 
Siegel says she was inspired to launch Quarantunes after giving her little sister, who was bored and antsy at the start of California's stay-at-home orders, music lessons so that her parents could focus on their work. I realized that there were probably thousands of other families in the same situation as ours with children who just really wanted to be kept occupied and to have fun and learn something new in quarantine, but just didn't really have the resources for that. Siegel enlisted her musical friends as coaches, like Leo Marburg. It combined two things I'm interested in, music and teaching. It also felt like a great way to help out. Marburg currently has three students, including Ariella Niemark. At seven years old, she's a budding ukulele player. Remember the name of the strings? Yeah, groovy cows eat apples. So G, C. Her little blue ukulele is a bit out of tune. Is that good? That's a hard thing to fix via web video, but she's loving the lessons. I get to learn at my own speed and it's just fun. Quarantunes has only been around for a few weeks, but Siegel says more than 100 students have signed up for lessons, which are free or by donation. And the service has already raised more than $2,500 for the CDC Foundation's efforts to combat COVID-19. For The California Report, I'm Chloe Veltzman. We leave you this morning on another musical note. The San Francisco Boys Chorus has kept on rehearsing the whole time we've been sheltering in place. When you're laughing, when you're laughing. That's Aiden and Miles Purcell who are going to help us say goodbye today. And that's the California Report for this Wednesday, April 29th. I'm Aiden. And I'm Miles. From, from the, the San Francisco, Francisco Boys Chorus. And I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. EarthquakeAuthority.com Personal Capital, offering customized, socially responsible investing options to align with personal values, addressing environmental, social, and corporate governance. PersonalCapital.com And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randal Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Happy reading!